Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined today by Jordan Gwizdowski, James Carrington, and Lita Hoffman of Luminous Theater mm-hmm. and their production of Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. Yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. I, kid- I killed that. Yeah, you absolutely killed that. I killed that. it. <laughs> no, so this is amazing. And I don't nor- normally like double down on my thank you of people coming on to a show, but we f- heard about this production happening yesterday, saw the show yesterday. Mm-hmm. We awkwardly were like, well, we're going to leave immediately and go get food and then text you guys <laughs> from to set the up bar. this to, from the bar to set up this interview. Where did you so, go? Uh, Vanguard. Oh yeah, great. Oh, yeah. Delicious. great I was yeah, like, yeah. as I as I like hit send on a text, I got like a curry burst sausage placed in front of me, and I was like, oh, could life be more perfect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really it was really amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I I'm I have so many thoughts and questions. I want to get into talking about this show because it's fantastic. Our audience, obviously, we're in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Our audience is we have a couple Milwaukee listeners, but a lot of Chicago people, and I'm just gonna lead with. If you're living in Chicago and you haven't heard of this play, you haven't seen this play, you need to come. It's this weekend. We'll, we'll plug all of the information yeah. at the end. So what you should be doing right now while you're listening to this podcast is looking at Amtrak tickets to yep. get up here. Mm-hmm. They're $25. Just get up here. Grab a lift over to River West. Yeah. Yes. It'll be worth it. What is the food rating thing? Is it Michelin stars where it's like it's worth it to travel to this city to eat this food? Yeah. I like if, the, if there is a Daniel like branding of a thing, it's this show, I think. Yeah. Um, That's so but, kind. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, it's We're like now. it was really, <laughs> it was really powerful and interesting. I mean, and the show, the, the show last night specifically was interesting too because it was basically it was a pay what you can kind of like free night, which was cool for us uh, for obvious reasons. But because um, we don't have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's also cool about it is it's site specific. Um, is that is that something that's been that happens a lot with this play? As far as I know, this play's never been done in a site-specific location. Yeah. Um, but when I saw it, I saw it at Theater Wit in Chicago for the first gotcha. time. I've seen a couple other productions since then. I just fell in love with this show. And I think I wasn't even through seeing the entire play before I went, oh my gosh, I want to do this in a site-specific location. I'm going to find, find a place where we can have a real bonfire, where we can find an actual warehouse to rehearse and perform this in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started looking for places in Milwaukee to do it right away. Yeah. Well, you kind of hit the site-specific jackpot because yeah. mm-hmm. we walked in. So the first act, if it's not raining, is done in like the lawn area of a warehouse in the River West neighborhood of, of Milwaukee, which is known for grunge and art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, much. And um, I also feel like weirdly, River West is gonna stand the test of gentrification for some reason. Like I just feel like it's not. It's is weirdly not going to be desired by like rich white people for some reason. I, maybe I'm totally wrong. I mean, like, there's, there, I think there's like really cool development happening in the neighborhood, but it's mostly like insular happening. It's like exactly in River West yeah. putting their money back into River yeah. West, and um, it's been it the like cool factor of it has been going on for the, like the last twenty years. It's right. not like a newly cool neighborhood. Exactly. And this area that we're doing the show in is somehow so it, uh, uh, outside of any of those areas like it's just other warehouses around that space so yep. there's very little foot traffic there's very little mm. car traffic so doing it outside it feels and that neighborhood's now being called river works and they're trying to make it oh, a yeah. neighborhood oh, cool. there's, a, there's a neighborhood center working on just trying to get more arts into that community and it's great because it's you know it's just warehouses kind of right in the middle of uh, you know, their resi- residences on one side and uh, retail on the other side. If you cut, if you walk in five blocks in any direction, you're going to find totally different things. Yeah. Well, um, and it was cool because we pulled, we parked and I saw like a for rent sign. It was like 12,000 square feet, fourth floor warehouse for $2,650 a month. And yeah. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, did you have flashes of like starting up your t-shirt company or something? <laughs> <laughs> this is my boat. This is it. Like, <laughs> like I've arrived. Yeah, yeah, no, but just like, it, it's such... Like, I, I can't believe that more people aren't doing art in that area 
because it's so it's like asking for it honestly yeah. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a blank canvas i had someone say to me the other um they came to the show i think opening weekend and um uh she said i haven't been to river west in like 15 years i've lived here my entire life and she said, i kind of forgot that river west existed and this play has made me say wow I'm gonna go to River West more, and like, I hope more people do things like this in River West. River mm-hmm. West is cool. It was like, um, there to speak you go. to another end of it though, <laughs> is I, um, Milwaukee has a lot of issues with like segregation and all these things going on. Yeah. And what? River- yeah. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> so does but, Chicago. Chicago has a very big same issue with what? That. Yep. And, <laughs> and um, River West like sits on this very like razor edge um, of that kind of problem. And I have people who have said that they don't feel comfortable coming to see the show because of the neighborhood that it's in. Mm. Um, and I I understand that because there have been issues. I've had friends who've been affected by, like, gun violence and stuff mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had friends who live there, and they come home one day, and everything's gone. Um, and, it's, and it's because of, you know, the neighborhood is overlooked. It is overlooked by, like, mm-hmm. the greater population of Milwaukee and I think bringing in more arts bringing in more exposure to the area can only make it better for everybody involved well and I think that's the key is that we're trying is that Milwaukee is trying to revitalize that area not through like corporate like not by corporate means but by by kind of re-energizing it artistically and I think that that's going to be ultimately more effective because I don't think that it's going to price anyone out. No. Because if it's if it's a bunch of community driven artists as mm-hmm. opposed to young lawyers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or then, like hoity toity restaurants. Yeah. Right, saying like, this is what the neighborhood needs instead it's a neighborhood saying like, No, this is who we are. Right. Come come experience the culture and like diversity that exists here. Well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What people have to say, people mm-hmm. who live there a really, really long time. Uh, one of our costume designers, I, she said she was born in River West. She was literally born in River West. Is there a But you know, she's she's lived there her entire life, and I think there's just a there's a there's been a culture there for a really long time of people listening to the world around them, listening to the community around them, and and deciding for themselves what it is they want their neighborhood to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. I'd love to start getting into this play a bit. I was thinking about it before on the way here, and I was like, what kind of questions do we want to ask? And I was thinking about it. It'd be really hard to spoil this show. Do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe you guys, obviously you guys are in it, but there are, obviously there are things where it's like, oh, that's a clear, this is going to, but the it, the scope of it is so large. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so much happening. And so I'm interested in kind of your guys' perspective as performers and as director of how... What do you do with something that is both an intimate fireside thing and then a Greek chorus and everything in between? Yeah, I think it'd be helpful to tell people the the structure of the play. We yeah. go, you know, so that we start around a campfire uh, in the very, very near future. I think it's like a couple months from now, and the electric grid has gone down, which has caused nuclear reactors to explode, mass population loss. And so this group of strangers is just sitting around this campfire, basically trying to exist. What do they do? They tell, uh, they try to remember an episode of The Simpsons. And then uh, the play jumps forward seven years in time. The same group of people, they've added another person, and they've become a troupe performing rudimentary Simpsons episodes Mm -hmm. traveling uh, from town to town. And then the play jumps 75 years into the future. The Simpsons characters have become the sort of archetypal people through which we view the lens of humanity's stories of love and hate. And and so this is the, this really big scope of this production, as you said, um, just allows us to look at a whole range of different ideas um, in a variety of theatrical styles. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's cool because, like, in, in the first act, you have, like, these really immediate moments of, like, oh, that this is just a powerful scene in and of itself. Like, I, I the, the moments that get me are, like, the really long silences that you can just tell that there's something on everybody's mind. And then there's the moments of, like, you telling the story. I'm pointing to you, Jordan. James. 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 Hi. Um, <laughs> telling the story. Um, and, but then getting interrupted and then just the like fear setting in 
And just that, if that alone, if that whole into playing with that concept was the play, I think it would all, it would even be a great play. Mm-hmm. But that's just act one. Yeah. I've heard, I, a lot of people, when they see the show, they're like, each act is connected, you can tell, but each act is also a completely different story. Like, if Ann Washburn, the playwright, wanted to just make act one an hour and a half, people would be like, that would have been a great play. Right. If act two was an hour and a half, people would be like, that would have been a great play. If act three was an hour and a half, that would have been a great play. Everything has... You can tell there's, there's going to be there could be a different story where we could go. Um, you get wrapped up in like ten minutes of something, and then all of a sudden something shifts, and you're like, oh, "What? Where am I? What? What? Why does he have a what?" <laughs> and um, I think that's so different and crazy. I mean, I've never read a play like Mr. Burns. Yeah. yeah. Well, something that struck me is that um, things that would be a big deal, like plot points that would be a big deal in other plays massively are fall by the wayside and you don't even notice them. For instance, in the first act, there are clear there are a couple like romantic relationships that are that are sketched out. Yeah, and you like yeah. you're you're killing it. No, seriously. <laughs> like, no, yeah. no, there are so worried that people can't tell. No, oh, yeah, no. 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 no, there there are there are some romantic relationships in the first act that change in the second act not even touched on because there are so many other things going on Mm -hmm. that who gives a shit who's Mm -hmm. sleeping with who and I just like whereas like like I said in any other play it would be like there would be like resentment that could be like played upon (laughs) where it's like no man we just need to get these Simpsons lines from these people like I don't like sure bye Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I think it's that's such an interesting um point because I get people who come see the show and they text me and they say, hey, we just have a lot of questions about (laughs) what happened. And I go, and so last night I went out and I met up with some friends at the bar and they went, so what was the show about? And I went, well, it was about storytelling. And they went, yeah, okay, okay, all right. So, like, there wasn't, like, some through line besides that that we needed to, like, find. And I was like, no, not really. The character's... As you'll see, like the characters change and disappear, and the protagonist is storytelling. And it's funny in the sense that the major elements of storytelling are not handed to mm-hmm. the audience. Like the uh, even the apocalypse, you don't really get a sense of it unless you're putting these tiny clues that the playwright mm-hmm. just kind of sprinkles throughout the script. Mm-hmm. The real story is what's how these people continue to let this story live on and you know continue yeah i so as a performer do you find yourself like and i'm i'm trying to figure out the way to ask this question and not the like how do you do this without a through line but like i mean is there is there ever a battle that you go like am i am i uh am i in this scene am i like adding something that is potentially trying to create a through line or like is, yeah like is is there challenges there is it's interesting. I mean, as an actor, yeah, you you get trained and you learn craft and you learn all that stuff and that's wonderful and beautiful. And this play kind of says that's great, but mm, kick it to the wayside for a little bit. Um, so you can plant things. You can try to remember things. You can try to say, okay, Matt, my character has to go from this to that. But, again, Anne Washburn has just said, you know what, major plot points just kind of don't matter right now. What matters is this. You have to do this. So, yeah, there's a bit of a through line, kind of. But I think the through line is storytelling and human connection. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these group of people, they get together, and the apocalypse has happened. They've lost their other connections to other humans, to other people. So now they are forced to come together. And to me, that's the through line. This family, this tribe, trying to make it work, trying to keep it together, trying to find joy in this world that we live in and trying to just survive. Yeah. So I think in the first act, there's a lot of, um, for me, for my character, I think he survives when he is having fun, engaging other humans and telling a story and trying to like just get them off of, the, the terrible things that have happened. And in the second act, you see that again. He's trying to 
no guys, this is this this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. So from that I have, but yeah, like oh my arc and my oh what do I the moment before and like mm-hmm. no, <laughs> it's not really. We also there. You know we have we have so much information in our heads that the audience will never know, and it was yeah. never our intent to share with the audience. We did have to come to an agreement at table work. You know, we sat around the table for a long time before we ever got on our feet with this show just trying to figure out, okay, what happened? What kind of apocalypse happened? Different cast members had different opinions about the order at which things had happened, and different characters in the play had different opinions. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. at some point you have to come to your own piece of like, well, my character's experience is that this mm-hmm. is the truth, and my char- you know, and they, and we, we found a way that they they mesh together in some way that makes sense to everybody. Um, but the, but then you, you have to do that just so that you can be a real person in yeah. a real scene, but then but then, yeah, it just you just have to go put that away and put it in the back of your head, mm-hmm. and not try to worry about explaining to the audience what that is because right. there are so many more important things to focus on as we right. tell the story. And that was such a valuable kind of lesson to come across in the table work was to go, well, we know they talk about this, and this is a thing that is sure of what happened before the grid goes down and the meltdowns uh, started, but after media stopped after the blackout. Uh, now all we have are the stories that we tell each other and it is the first sign of like the breakdown and kind of the power of the spoken word and mm-hmm. you know transferring your information through storytelling and that was the first where it goes alright it, it could be anything mm-hmm. after we don't have Google or the way to just like send all this information around what happened is so ephemeral you yeah. know no, it's amazing, and I uh, I keep coming back to the names. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that, but that to me was yeah. so amazing because it was a, it came in the first act, and it's I don't I don't know how long the first act is after the apocalypse, right? But what I do know is that whatever period of time that was, a culture has already started, a mm-hmm. global uh-huh. culture has already started to form, in that there is a way in which people are like conferring with who the people that they're looking for Mm -hmm. and that that's the thing coming back to what we were talking about before about like finding a through line you guys come back and talk about that in the third act and Mm -hmm. like the play kind of gives you that and so it's like it knows that there's no through line but it's playing with it and it's it's just so interesting and i think there's such a powerful oh man i can tell already i'm like in the middle of a thought that's not coming to a question (laughs) this happens happens so often but um but i just think it's interesting the, the statement it's making on culture. I guess that's what, what I'm curious for you guys, like how, because that's really what it comes down to, right? It's kind of like playing with culture and playing with mythology. Yeah. One, of the, one of the most interesting parts I grabbed onto when I first read the script was the culture that comes up around the buying and selling of jokes and lines in the second act. They talk about this whole um, exchange of goods based on Simpsons lines Um, and that's something when you watch like The Walking Dead or any of these post-apocalyptic things the idea of entertainment as a as a piece of um, as something with monetary value um, entertainment is something that we as human beings desire so greatly to the fact that we all have a screen in our pockets constantly where we can play games watch TV watch movies do whatever we want and well, of course it's going to become, it's going to have a great amount of value in the future. Or I mean, in a post-apocalyptic future. Yeah. I have a question about your character, Jordan. Um, so, in the first and second act... I'm not there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, so, in the first and second act, the antagonist throughout the Simpsons storyline is always Sideshow Bob. Yes. And there is a mention at one point from one of the characters that they're looking for someone to play Mr. Burns and that no one is a, no one remembers Mr. Burns' lines or something along those lines. But then 75 years in the future, the antagonist is now Mr. Burns, which is also Sideshow Bob. Like, they, they've combined into that archetype. Yes. And I'm wondering what your opinion is of how that came to be, how Sideshow Bob turned into Mr. Burns. Um, I, so... Going back to the through line, this is going to be the most jerk-off session. For no. Here we go. Here we go. You should listen to a couple of other, other a couple episodes of ours. Um, everyone sit back and relax. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mr. Burns is 
they they kind of in the first act um, reference. She's like, oh yeah, that that character, Mr. Burns, and she starts to kind of confuse Sideshow Bob with Mr. Burns right from the start. And Mr. Burns, I feel, is so divorced from anything that we would think Mr. Burns to be, or even sometimes Sideshow Bob to be by the third act. Uh, he's a representative of um, like this uh, nuclear devastation, um, a pandemic of sorts, all these things that um, of of maybe thus like the the desire to just throw the life away through like suicide and all these things because when you get to this point, um, I feel he's a hero um, <laughs> um, because he really he was he's there to teach Bart and these people that life is full of pain, especially in this post apocalyptic world. It's a it's a life that is full of pain. Your family is going to die. The people you know are going to die. You're going to lose everything that you ever want. But that can't stop you from living. Mm. You have to look at the moment and keep moving on. And so I think Burns is in the first act. I think he's there in the second act. He might not be present, but whenever they hear a noise and look off to the side, it's Burns. Whenever they like, whenever something is happening or like the guy, you know, any present danger is Burns. And so this culture formed it into this like demonic character that comes about in the third act. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me too that the all of these the things that we're afraid of, the pain in the world, they come together in this character whose name is Mr. Burns. So different from the Mr. Burns we know on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Right. But that that the Mr. Burns from The Simpsons is the richest guy in town, everyone's boss, uh, the owner of a nuclear power plant, which of course, as you think about, you know, this society's kind of been destroyed by nuclear power plants. Well, of course they would come back to this idea that Mr. Burns as a symbol must have been the source of all of the problems of the world. Right. Um, and I think there's, the, the play just kind of puts that name into it. It's in the title of the play. And then, we don't ever we don't ever ask the question in in the text of the play. Well, why him? Who, mm-hmm. who who is he? The Simpsons character as he's evolved. But I think all the time about sort of the symbol of Mr. Burns in the TV show The Simpsons. Mm. It's important that he carries on as we as we think about sort of the ways in which the need for power can manifest itself into evil mm-hmm. in our contemporary societies we watch this play and probably in societies in the future. Uh, and somebody asked me, they said, do the people in this like far future segment, do they think the Simpsons and like Mr. Burns and these characters all were a real family? Do they, is it like a literal telling of a story? And I went, uh, I, maybe not these people because they still might have access to like t-shirts where Bart's saying cowabunga and they know that it is a symbol of something. But a hundred years from now in the way that people like look at the story of Noah and all of these things. I was, yeah, the story of Noah literally came to mind. <laughs> yeah, it's people legitimately say like, oh, Adam and Eve were real people that lived and the story that we read in this thing is a literal translation and you go, Oh, okay. If that's what you, if that gives you comfort and that like allows you to continue on with life, like that's, it's a great thing, but it's also, it is, it's a story, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a story with, it's a parable. It teaches us about how knowledge, anyway. Does it it even matter if if we know whether the Simpsons are real people? They're the most important people we have stories about. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's like, you know, in the histories of Shakespeare, those are real people told in a way that mm-hmm. was useful for Shakespeare at that moment. He was writing mm-hmm. the play. and um, Or characters he'd made up, but from myths that people have been telling forever, right? Is Odysseus and Achilles, are they were they real people? We think so, maybe, but it doesn't really matter anymore. They're, they're characters in an incredibly important and famous story that we need to hang on to for some reason for the rest of time. The story, by the way, is the episode Cape Fear of The Simpsons, which yeah, that's, yeah. that's like the, yeah, the foundation of what they're talking about. Uh, so I'm, this is something that I keep coming back to, um, is just the, 
the everyman nature of this entire plot, but also the brilliance of it. And I think there's a weird, like, for me, I keep going through this weird dichotomy of that, where it's like, it's just so fucking smart. And also, like, anyone could have written it, weirdly. <laughs> and I, I find that, like, it's almost weirdly to, to me that, like, this apocalyptic environment ends up becoming the, like, great equalizer and the, like, lowest common denominator of people. And mm-hmm. I, that, for me, comes up in Act 2 when they're talking about the buying of lines and stuff. And they're like, oh, and we met one guy who happened to write for SNL at mm-hmm. one point. Which is just amazing to me that, like, ba- what that almost pointed out to me is, like, all of the thing- people that we would consider, like, genius writers, like the head writers, they're all dead. And so the, what we have are the, be- the best that we have, potentially, and maybe that's not entirely true that this is the best in the living at the time, but the best that they could get access to, this performing troupe, was a guy who wrote on SNL once. And I, I, I think that that's... And the fact that they lost track of him. They're like, yeah, there was a guy who wrote for Saturday Night Live. Whatever happened to him? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe... Uh, we, we, I don't know. Just the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's interesting because a thing we talk about a lot, and I think... Um, is relevant especially to this play is right now the world we're living in we're so caught up in like nostalgia and kind of looking back we were talking about this with the the unicorn frappuccino where it's like (laughs) it's so weirdly like the colors remind us of being like five and comfortable and stuff and because the world is like so scary it's like weirdly comfortable and it's like fun to make fun of it because it's so meaningless um (laughs) but um i just lost my train of thought i and, and so that's, I think that's kind of an interesting that this play kind of, is that something that you guys have thought about at all? Like the, the everyness of it, the, I don't think it's something that we like brought up necessarily a lot, but it's there. I mean, we talked about, um, in our table work, we were like, who were these people before? Um, what did they do? And I think for the, not all of us, but some of us came up with like, successful jobs and successful careers and who they were and who they're connected to and then the apocalypse said that doesn't matter yeah and you're now an actor you're now an actor you're <laughs> now, now a writer, writer. Yeah. right um now you have guns and maybe you never shot a gun before in your life but now you need to protect yourself and seven years later in act two we there's this whole thing um of them trying to create a commercial and um it is nostalgic but it's nostalgia times a thousand. And it's to be like a, a typical commercial now is 30 seconds. Yeah. You see, and you, it's to make you go buy something. And in our world, you can't buy anything really. It's just to make the audiences feel, oh yeah. Chablis. I remember Chablis. <laughs> I remember Diet Cokes. I remember just turning on my TV and being able. One of my favorite lines is, um, you, you're not going to turn the sound up. It's just so, it's such a throwaway line, but it's, I can't turn the volume up on any device anymore. Volume is what it is. Like, maybe I can fashion a megaphone, but <laughs> like if someone's talking to me, I can't just say, bleep, 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 I can't turn you up. Yeah. You know, it's just, you have to be with each other on a human level. And in our commercial, our, our actress Quincy says that, and I say, oh yeah. We don't. We don't have volume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, nostalgia is there, and like, I'm sure maybe somebody, some guys, like, oh god, I miss frappuccinos. Yeah. Well, the the fact that Diet Coke, Diet Coke gets referenced throughout the entire show. It survives into the 75 years, and it's very funny to me because, in the way that like the frappuccino or all these things, when you talk to somebody about a Diet Coke, especially like a habitual Diet Coke drinker. You'll say, like, well, what is it? Because I think it's fucking disgusting. And they'll say, like, oh, I get to work, and I sit down at my desk, and it's just, as soon as I do that, I just, the first snap of the Diet Coke and hearing it, like, the bubbles fizz up, and that first sip, it, like, lets me know that I'm ready to start my day. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you really connect so many <laughs> emotional things to yeah. this product, to this uh, something that's been sold to you, and basically... It, we connect that to so many things in our lives that we don't even realize because they're so we have so much access to them mm-hmm. that once we have no access like the volume like you said it's it, we, there's a desire just to like remember it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah uh, there's something speaking of you know 
not having access to things. Um, there's something so remarkable about the whole experience of this play is that you really walk away with the sense of nothing being precious. Like even the location of where the action happens, like you walk up and you're like, oh wow, we are definitely in a warehouse. That's cool, whatever. And you sit down and you're encouraged to bring blankets and like, you know, and you get so deeply invested in these characters sitting around the fire and then you get up and you leave. And you go into this dark warehouse and you're like, oh my God, okay, whatever, it's fine, it's fine. And like, <laughs> and like but then like, and you sit down and you're like, I have no fucking clue what this next act is going to bring because we're in a different place. Mm-hmm. I know it's seven years in the future, but is it going to be? And, and it takes you a second to realize, oh, okay, these are the same people because Gibson mm-hmm. and Matt and, okay, these are the same people, but relationships has, have changed, but no one seems to care. Fine. <laughs> um, great. Uh, and then it ends and then you're like, okay. Now it's 75 years in the future, and we're in the same place. That's cool. Great. Same universe. Same, same we don't universe. Know we're in the same place. It's well, just right. the same. But, yeah. but I mean, we're but sitting, in, we're sitting, yeah. we're we're right sitting in the same yeah. chairs, which is oh, somehow right. more unsettling, but fine. <laughs> and so, but then, like, but then, and you go into the third act just like, I genuinely don't know how this one's going to go. And then you're introduced to this crazy, like, swashbuckly Mr. Burns character, which wipes you out. And then something remarkable that happened, like, as we were walking out, we walked past the fire pit. And we were like, oh, my God, I forgot that that happened. <laughs> and, like, and so you just walk away. Or at least this was our experience with like that nothing is precious. Like I can't mm-hmm. hang on to that fire pit scene just as these guys can't hang on to Diet Coke, and just as you know the relationships are fleeting. But who cares? And mm-hmm. um, is was was the kind of ephemeral like um, like was the get up and move portion of it like trying to imitate the ephemeralness of of absolutely yeah yeah that um i knew i knew that i wanted people to have to move because there's such a huge shift between act one and and act two as we jump 77 years in the future that the world needs to feel different so even if it rains we do act one in a different location we get inside. There are all these uh, repossessed cars filling parts of the warehouse, <laughs> so we just kind of fill in around the cars and do Act One that way. Um, but it, the the act of moving and just letting the world completely disappear is really important, as you as you know that you don't really know what to hang on to, and you know. A lot of people don't regularly go into warehouses in their day-to-day life. No. Um, and so people are people are a little scared mm-hmm. when they walk in. And, you know, like, it's, it's light enough that it's safe, but we haven't lit it so that you can necessarily see around every corner or mm-hmm. see behind every car so that I like it that people are afraid because mm-hmm. our characters are thrown into a world that is totally unknown where they don't know who's coming around a corner. They don't necessarily know who they are. Even in even in the act, you know, they're all there together, but they're rehearsing a performance for a space that is not theirs. They're traveling. So they don't it doesn't feel homey to them. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that the audience is also in a place that doesn't feel homey. Mm-hmm. It's not in a theater they've been to before. It's totally unexpected. Um, we've also had really cold weather the last two weeks. It's supposed <laughs> yeah. to get a lot warmer, <laughs> luckily, uh, in yeah. the next couple of days. But we've had, you know, people, have, it's, it's really cold in that warehouse. Yeah. Um, and I kind of love it yeah. because yeah. it is cold, you know, and that th- these these characters don't have the opportunity for air conditioning or heat or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you need. You just have to deal with the elements. It is truly like an immersive theater experience. Like mm-hmm. you go to a theater, <laughs> I won't say who it was, but they said, a friend of mine came to see the show and they're like, God, this made me just not be lazy and audiences can be lazy now or th- people can't just be lazy. Like you see a show, you get you sit in your th- your seat, and two hours later you say bye. And you gotta be go away. Maybe you yeah. get a cocktail at intermission. And nope, you come here, you bring your blankets. <laughs> you're gonna be around a fire. You're gonna move. You're gonna sit down. You're gonna be a little cold, but you're gonna watch a show. And like Lita said, like our characters, we had to do that. Yeah. And that's it. Kind of just makes the audience and the actors just come together. We are all in this together. Mm-hmm. And that's really all that matters. Like you said, it's precious. 
yeah, the material things are great. We want the Diet Coke. We want the TV. We want it. But really what's more important is, I keep saying this all the time, human connection and storytelling. Who are we, when we come together, all we have is each other and what we can convey to each other and just connection. Um, and I think the movement and the idea, like I, I give so much credit to lead on this end because the first act is outside around a fire as far as technical work goes in like stage building and everything it's set up chairs build a fire put the couch out there and then you know they blocked and everything but it's there's no like really technical aspects of theater that are happening that one would expect and like you said it it, it gets people to like cuddle up on a blanket and like lean forward and listen like you would at a campfire. Mm-hmm. And that experience is so personal and people, the smell of the campfire, all those things like very much tell their own story. Um, somebody was talking about uh, in a character's monologue, they said the word fluttering and immediately after they said that, a few birds just like took off from a tree. <laughs> and we like, planned it, we <laughs> planned it. Yeah. And it's like, that's a genius. These are things that can happen. And then you move in and like a night around a campfire seven years later, you might not have the complete recollection of it, but those, the, the relationships that you built around that are, so, are still just as valuable. And now you're in a warehouse and there's a stage. You get to see a stage. And so it's a little more like comfortable Ooh. in the sense of like, okay, so this is a theater thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like sitting in rows like an audience would, but still as far as like technical aspects of a show, the only thing that has been built as far as lighting in that is a skylight that is streaming through basically a reproduction of natural light like you would get in a warehouse. And then any sound cues are done by the actors on stage. We had a sound designer work with us, but unlike Mm -hmm. the work she does in lots of other spaces where she's manufacturing sound cues to go through speakers, they have no electricity, so there's Mm -hmm. no electric speaker in this show and so she's working with us on sound foley things like mm-hmm. you know if someone's got to break a mirror and um james spent a lot of the second act pouring buckets of water <laughs> from each other to sound like a bathtub filling and, and these are just all things that we we have to all figure out together because that's yeah. the tools they we have. have no wing space we cannot just say okay the asm is going to handle that we got to do it ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> so even the very fundamental ideas of the script are woven into the direction and like the work that we've done as actors, which feels so valuable. And when you talked about uh, it being a found space and like an immersive piece, um, I can't imagine seeing that second act and certain parts that happen in a theater where I like feel like I'm in a working theater and like lights are happening. I'd be like, they don't have electricity. Mm -hmm. It feels so good. Yeah. No, I actually have a weird, just like specific technical. So, is it just giant water tubs, and that's why it's continuous? Is that like how? Do you, know what I, do you see what I'm asking? Because like, if it's just like two small tubs, like, wouldn't there be a break in the sound? Is it we, like one? We, it took a minute to figure yeah. it out. Um, and I remember we we, we had te- we had to tech it in the actual space. I was like, oh, this is not good. Tech is gonna be fine. I think that took like. That and our quick changes took the longest time. So what it is, is um, it's really very simple. It's just one big bucket, and I take a smaller bucket at first, and I'm pouring the water in, and then something happens, and I can stop. Gotcha. I put that bucket down, yeah. or I transfer, the rest of that, I transfer the rest of that water to another bucket to have excess water, just in case. And then I'm continuously pouring water from one bucket into another. Got the entire it. time. His character is the line. I have a system. I have a system. <laughs> he has a system. And what am I? Oh my gosh! Our stage manager, Caitlin, uh, um, her friend came to the show, and um, she said one of my favorite things. She was she loved it. But she's like, you guys paid attention to the details. We do that whole commercial bit with the buckets and everything, and then we have to uh, clear the the set for um, our next rehearsal project. Um, what, what, I won't tell you what it is. We have to clear the set. And um, the screen goes away, and you can see the buckets. And she said, I love that there were buckets. Like, he had an actual <laughs> system. Yeah. She's like, like, it was there. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, there was a system. It was offstage, and somebody else did it. No, Matt did it. Because we, no, also, like, because we did have it. no offstage, like, there's just never been an, a, 
a way to cheat in rehearsal, right? Yeah. So if you can't figure out how the buckets work, then you've broken the play and you need to keep mm-hmm. working at it. There's mm-hmm. no, oh, I know, we'll just have it be another actor helping. Or like if James mm-hmm. has to figure it out all by himself because some people can see behind that screen. Mm-hmm. Some When we move the screen, everything's going to be there and there's nowhere else to go to hide. So mm-hmm. we had to figure out how to make everything work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what... I think it's interesting to me, to me it's interesting that it is so detailed but it also reads so detailed as an audience member like I I wonder how you achieve that and I also wonder if maybe just the answer to that is like because it of the nature of it, it it'd be hard to I, like like how is it that because I think I, I would say that probably most audience members can tell that you had to actually figure out how to do that mm-hmm. which yeah, I mean, like... But what was interesting is that I kind of... I was... Like, in this moment, I'm impressed by it, but, like, in the in the context of it, I was like, yeah, of course James is behind that thing with the buckets, because, like, who the fuck else would do it? Exactly. <laughs> like, but it, it, but and, that detail adds something to it, though, Absolutely. As well. And mm-hmm. it, it... Because it was so raw, and it was this found space, and, like... I saw people, you know, I saw, like, Kelly hanging out behind, and, you know, th- th- there there was no transparency to it, mm-hmm. because it was, it, it, it was in the same vein as, like, um, like, noises off. Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. Where Post-apocalyptic you, noises off. Yeah, which, <laughs> like, what a, what a concept <laughs> of, like, of, like, yeah, you're going to see people hanging out, because it's a look at the backstage, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't. It just fit, and you didn't really think about it, but... Yeah. yeah. It's really weird, because I remember kind of going back to something we talked about earlier about, like, as an actor, which I had to break the habit of being like, the audience can't see me. Like, they can't know that I'm back here. Yeah. Where if they see, like, they're going to ruin the magic. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. No, that is part of the gig. That's part of the job, is that they might see me back there. They might see Kelly walking past mm-hmm. to do a quick change, like... In this world, these characters don't have that luxury of, I'm going to have my two dressers help me, and I'm going to run yeah. to the wing space. And they're, and they're in rehearsal. And yeah. Like, so the play is a rehearsal. The act is a rehearsal. Right. So they're, ha- they're, are, they're working it out. Like that time when Kelly carries those clothes across, you can see on her face like, oh, shoot, I should yeah. figure out a new pattern. <laughs> because it's just, it is a rehearsal. And so yeah. in this new venue they're in, in this new town, well, maybe she's going to got to go a different way. And mm-hmm. by the time they get to the performance the next day, she's going to figure it out. But mm-hmm. we don't want to show you something perfect. Because right. These characters haven't had time to perfect mm-hmm. it, and they're not theater professionals. Yeah, like, no, that doesn't matter. They're accountants, they're they're accountants, they're teachers, yeah. they're, they're whatever, <laughs> they're architects. They're like, I'm gonna do this now. Yeah, but it's also interesting in that Act Two thing too, because I think in a certain way there is an easy way for you guys to play yourselves, or or that can be a thing that comes into it. Is that a thing that you guys thought about at all? Like, do you find yourself being like not letting? yourself show in the character? Um, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Because you are an actor. um, Who's the... (laughs) Oh, like... like, Right, because you are an actor. So, like, the thing of, like, I don't know, I'm not, like, an acting theory professional, but I know that there is something to be said about, like, method acting versus, like... Mm-hmm. Finding your yeah. finding your the role in yourself and portraying that sure. right. Um, well, I think it goes back to what we're talking about with coming up with all of these details. Yeah. So, so yes, like you're playing an actor at a rehearsal. It's you know very confusing. And rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Wait, what are we rehearsing? Um, but but because all of these people are playing there, you know. So James is playing Matt, and and James knows certain things about Matt. J- you know, James knows we we can't tell you, but James you know knows what Matt did as a job before he ended up right. in this world in the theater troupe, and the kinds of things he cares about, and the kinds of, and who and who he. What how he feels about each other person in that room with him, and that's going to be totally different than what what Matt feels is different than what James feels on any mm-hmm. given day. And mm-hmm. so th- I think in that way we've really yeah. been able to cre- create characters that are sometimes very different than the people who our actors are, and are sometimes very the same very because similar. that's what it calls. That's what right, it calls right, 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 right. Um, in the third act, the um, you're watching a performance, and so instead of watching. Matt or Gibson, you're watching a bunch of people, actors, performers, put on a play where they are playing other things, like the Simpsons characters. And that was one of the first things we talked about was figure out who your actor is 
in this moment, but make it pretty similar to the person that you are. So it's not this like overdone, you know, idea mm-hmm. of I'm an actor who, oh, I messed up something. So I'm going to, it's just, you have to do the work that is there. And that's something that I love doing is like playing an actor, playing something else, because it allows me to really just look at the things that I would normally do and then like heighten them <laughs> to a hundred degrees. Like I take everything very seriously. So this guy feels like he's like manifesting a spirit of Mr. Burns that has existed for hundreds and millions of years. And he like goes into this whole like ritualistic thing before he does it. And like, and so as like an actor playing a non-actor who is acting, I think that. (laughs) Exactly. Wrap your mind around that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that. And James is playing a guy. Scratchy from Itchy and Scratchy, so right. you know it's like it's a cat mouse demon thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, add that on top of it, right? <laughs> totally, but a, right, right. But a three-eyed Scratchy, yes. which I thought was really fun, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a great design choice. La- Last-minute design choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. because you guys talk about the three-eyed fish yes. in the first act, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then gets by. Leslie and Andrea, our costume designers, were sitting watching a run and went. Oh, he has to have three eyes. In the <laughs> oh, that's genius. Of and I did not know until I got the costume. I was like, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> Whether it's yeah. written into the script or something that our designer or director, one of our actors like has chosen to do, there is almost nothing that doesn't rhyme or repeat throughout the three acts, which I find so fascinating. Ooh, sorry. Um, so your characters throughout the play are trying desperately to remember episodes of The Simpsons that they probably watched two years ago. Did you guys choose to watch those episodes during the run of the show, or did you choose to not remember them? During the run, during the rehearsal? I mean, we never... It, it totally depended on the person. Yeah. It's like we did not have a cast showing of Mm-mm. Cape Fear or the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons. Um, we watched some clips, that some very specific references. The challenge is, is that once you get cast, if you haven't seen it, it's mm-hmm. a, and your character has, luckily James watched a lot of Simpsons, mm-hmm. um, then it's something that you have to get in your mind. So I had never seen the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons when I first saw Mr. Burns. I got really interested in this play. I watched it almost a year ago, and I have not seen it since because I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to just figure out what I could remember, and and I also had, we had enough people in the rehearsal room who I trusted to know it really, really well, so that if there was something that should be a little bit different, that they could remind me of that mm-hmm. idea from yeah. the episode. I think I think most of us, when we all got cast in December, I think most of us were like, let's watch it. And no one watched it together. I think we all watched it separately. And we were like, okay. And then a lot of us were like, and then we're done. We're not going to watch it again. That was December. We started rehearsals in March. So two, two three months afterwards. Yeah. And um, then to certain rehearsals, we were like, let's watch this clip of this one random episode. And we're like, God, it was so funny. It was so, so or maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but... Um, like Sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes, a moment that we is interrupted, we do not get to in our in our production. Um, but is we're on the brink of getting to that moment, and so I I have watched that clip over and over it's so because funny. it's just so funny, and I like want to show it to people and like explain to them, oh, this is happening because it's just so hilarious. And they needed, you know, they had to fill extra time in yeah. the episode, so they just repeated the same frames over and over, so they'd have to reanimate something. I mean, that like those little trivia bits, we've just had so much fun with. So little things like that that we've we've checked in with that we've watched but I can't wait really till we close the show and I can go watch the Cape Fear right (laughs) my favorite rehearsal was when um and it was so smart of Lita um in act one these people are trying to just remember the Cape Fear episode and we were rehearsing it and we were doing it and then we were like Lita stopped us and was like who has seen a streetcar named March and we were like oh yeah people have seen it yeah 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 it's been a while and she was like okay recreate it She's like, we're not going to rehearse Act 1, we're, we're rehearsing, but all of you guys right now, just do it. And we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it was, all of us, after we did it, we were like, oh, that's what that is. That's what that is. You know, as an again, as an actor, you're like, here are my lines, I have to memorize my lines, and I'm going to say, okay, the episode starts 
But in like blah, 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 it has to be a conversation. It has to be real. It has to be natural. Yes, we have to act. And it was written that time. way too. So Anne Washburn got a bunch of people together in a room who had seen the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons at some point in their lives and had them recreate it, recorded it, wrote it down, and then pulled from that conversation for these mm-hmm. lines. So you get all these ums, uh, likes, and and the idea of people like ollieing, like giving giving a little yeah. bit of information that yeah. allows somebody else to go like yes 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 and yes, that's yes, yes, exactly yes. what happened. We were like oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. And then we're literally getting up and recreating things and like running around and being idiots because we're like, that's what humans do. You know, they just get up and they do it. And yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested in the writer. Has she written anything else? Yeah, uh, there's a show, I I think it's still running or it's just about to close, 10 out of 12. I think it Um, just closed. I think it just closed, yeah, at Theater Wit because they did Mm -hmm. Mr. Burns so successful so they remounted uh, 10 out of 12 Um, and a bunch of other stuff. It's sort of, you know, one of those up-and-coming writers. Mr. Burns was about five, six years ago, mm-hmm. premiered in Woolly Mammoth in D.C., and then moved to Playwrights Horizons in New York. Cool. Um, and so it's it's around a lot. It's great, you know, to just watch this show cropping up in all sorts. I mean, big regional theaters, tiny storefront theaters, warehouses. High so schools. It's all, high schools. Yeah. <laughs> it's all over the place now. Yeah. High schools? Really? Yeah, we found a high school production. Yeah, it Is happened it like last weekend. And uh, you can watch it on YouTube. <laughs> Already? Good yeah. for them getting up that quick. Yeah. That, that's a good turnaround for high school. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah. Good way, it's a good way to get a cease and desist real quick. We're going to name this high school. <laughs> but if you search it on YouTube, you, you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can we, get that up. Um... um yeah, we've just been talking about um, like how, as as like a group of you know young professionals, how how deep we can go into the text and like find all these things that we can play around that maybe some people might never pick up on. Maybe some people do. There are some very um, very perceptive people who've been like, "You did this at this point," or like, "I saw this person. That person did. Were they like together?" And you're like, "Yeah, you were watching." Well, and then there so are well. musical moments in the third act from pop culture songs from now. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes where the you know there are very obvious ones, but then there are ones where the the tune or the rhythm matches something that's a pop song you know, and it, it takes you a bunch of times to listen to it before everything can crop up. Well, there was there was one point where like, it, there was just kind of like chorus texture happening, mm-hmm. and at one point, two chorus dudes over here were just were going, zoom, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. and I was like, ah! <laughs> I don't know if you've mentioned him yet, but we went with Joe Riggenbach, who's also a musician, and so it was really fun. I, I think I was, like, I mean, I, not that you weren't paying attention to the plot, I think you were very much too, Chill. but I know that you guys, there was a period where I was like, what the fuck, when we were at the bar, I was like, what the fuck did we watch, and you guys were just going through, like, yeah, musically, did you hear this thing happen, and this ah. thing happened, and this thing happened? It was really cool. That, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty fucking smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even I mean, even in music rehearsals, there were points in a lot of those like third act big numbers where it was like that that chord structure that like dun 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 dun. What is that? What is that thing? And it's not mm-hmm. given to you in the lyrics. It's not, but it's just like a little pull that they bring in. And it's well, like, and someone would say, "Oh, let's start from the thong song section." And you're like, "The thong? Oh my gosh, that is the thong song!" And like, "Well, yeah, yes. not everybody knew." You know, yeah. if you come see it, listen for the thong song. It it's is there. amazing. It blew my <laughs> mind. If you can like, hear the thong song, they'll give you a Reese's it was, peanut butter. Cup. Yes, <laughs> it was the coolest thing, and it just makes you so excited. You're like, <gasps> "What?" And again, it goes back to that, like, oh, yeah, the nostalgic feeling of, oh, my mind is at ease. Yeah. <laughs> I recognize this. I'm I'm cool with that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, um, we have a few minutes left. So, uh, like we mentioned, we mentioned this to you guys before we started recording. The last thing we do is we give all of our guests a an opportunity to plug things. Uh, sometimes that's very obvious, like a show upcoming this weekend. Other times it, uh, it cannot be that way. Uh, it can be a self-care thing that you really enjoy, like a novel, a book, or uh, or or it can also be someone that you think is really do, uh, is doing really dope work or creating really cool projects. Um, so each of you have a minute to do that. In whichever order you want. Alright, I'll go first. Um, mine's going to be, because mine's just going to be very selfish. Um, I have a podcast called Punkast, a puncast. I do it with my brother, um, it's about puns and how we use puns in society. We mostly just like play pun games. Um, the O. Henry Austin pun off is coming up 
in like seven days. And so if you go to Austin and want to like listen to eight hours of puns or are in Brooklyn and want to go to the Punderdome um, at Littlefield, <laughs> or if you're in the Midwest and you want to go to Pundemonium, um, at my least mom. one of my brothers is always competing in these competitions. My mom went to that last year and she was like, I don't know what I got myself into. <laughs> it's miserable if you don't like puns. But if you do like puns, our podcast is called Punkast, a puncast. And uh, you can find it on everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Cool. That's, that's crazy. I had no idea you did that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna say, please come see Mr. Burns. Um, <laughs> I have nothing else. Like, I mean, take care of yourselves. Love yourselves. Yeah. Drink a glass of water. Water is important. Shout out to water. Shout out to water. <laughs> Self care. I mean, I learned this from I learned this from my friend. Um, and lots of people do this. When you wake up within the first hour, drink a big glass of water. It is legit. It is legit. I drink a big glass of water within the first hour, then I have a big cup of coffee, and I'm a human. Yep. So, and it's really great if you're very hungover. But, um, <laughs> but also, come see Mr. Burns. This is our closing weekend. We run Thursday through Monday. Every show is pay what you can. So there you go. Bring lots of blankets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we were swaddled to the nines, which is probably why I was not recognizable. Um, but <laughs> my current profile picture is me holding a bottle of bullet swaddled up. You were drinking the bullet. <laughs> my friends right next to you were drinking Jack Daniels. <laughs> they were good. like, is it weird if we bring out whiskey? And then they saw you drinking the bullet and they went, okay, that's good. <laughs> drink yeah. it, bring it. I mean, it might, it's a little warmer this weekend, it's so you don't have to like wrap well. yourselves. Yeah. But but you should still bring bourbon. Yeah. You, should, <laughs> you should always bring bourbon. And then I, the next morning, have a glass of water and a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw your friends open up the Jack Daniels and was like, all right. And that was like the only interaction we had the whole night. And I think that was perfect. River West. Yeah, River West. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna give a shout out to to theater in in uncomfortable spaces. Yeah. Um, do, we should we should do more of it. We should support it more. So find find theater in uncomfortable spaces, or if you're uh, make, the make theater. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, whatever, whatever you want. Make theater in uncomfortable spaces. Um, I know it's something you know. I want to do more of. I'm gonna keep working on making this happen, and uh, I'm just really excited for the the people who have come to this show who've gone. Oh yeah, this is the thing I want to do more of, and I just hope that 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 excitement around this idea continues to spread. Punk rock theater. Punk yeah, rock theater. hell yeah. The next show is a Little Mermaid in the actual ocean. Get <laughs> 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 oh ready, guys. Okay. 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 I put yeah. it out there in the universe, Lita. In the actual I'm ready. ocean. In the actual yeah. ocean. Not right. the not like the figurative yeah. ocean. If you talk to like the twenty of my friends, like, not even like Michigan. Like, you have the, to no, no, Chicago. we're going to the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> The Atlantic Ocean. Or wherever the, the Caribbean is. is. No, I don't know. The Caribbean. Well, Atlantis. Oh, yeah. Oh, there have to be. Yeah. Boom. Boom. <laughs> cool. This has been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. Uh, if you want to keep up with what we're up to, there is tons of ways to do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That is uh, the home of a few different things. Uh, most importantly, that's where we keep all of our articles. We do have a magazine, a digital magazine that we run. Um, we publish all of our articles there. Uh, we're looking at print uh, at some point in the future. But, Are we? Um, Maybe. I don't know. All right. There are old articles, old and new. We've got a lot of stuff coming out this next week that's really exciting. Um, yeah, and if you want to keep up with us on social media, there's a few ways that you can do that. You can head over to Facebook, Scopy Magazine. We post pictures of our cats in every episode. Um, and you can head over to Instagram and Twitter at Scopy Mag to find us there. And as always, I'm here to plug... Uh, to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget, which is terrifying because we're putting on a shitload of performances this Mm -hmm. summer. Um, I'm going to announce one of the locations. I'm deciding to do that. Um, We're going to be putting on a weekly performance at Nightcap Coffee in Pilsen. I'm going to... The other one, Redline Tap. 
Up in Rogers Park. In Rogers Park, which is great because we're getting both sides of the city. It's, we're getting it's the hard far to... north side and the far south side. Mm-hmm. Um, we are finalizing dates over the next couple days. We're but shooting we... for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and so we'll be doing residency performance. Oh, residency. We're looking for better wording for it. Yeah. But basically, we're going to be putting on these performances weekly, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Throughout these, the summer, these, starting in early summer. June. So if you want to put on something cool with us um, and not get paid but get, but get our appreciation for it, Mm-hmm. Uh, let and us recordings. know and recordings, high quality recordings. Please let us know. Um, these are two awesome spaces owned by really incredible people, um, surrounded by really supportive, really wonderful communities. So it'll just be a great time for everybody. Plus, you know, get coffee or booze. You yep. can't lose. Um, um, anyway, the making so. of rhetoric. Right oh my god. So, um, yeah, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, go to our About section. If you become a monthly subscriber at a level of as little as $5 a month, um, you will uh, get a shout out on the show. And for every performance that we do in our apartment, you're going to get admission. You get to come hang out with us in our apartment to watch performance. Um, which means that I'll make comments, you can pet our cats, and then we'll probably hang out and get drunk on cheap wine, which, fuck yeah. Um, yeah, so, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool, thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.